Welcome to episode 74 of Cowboys Ride for Free, the podcast. My name is Joel Penfield, and as always, I'm joined by Philip Slavin. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. It's been a, it's been a good week, and uh, I'm really excited for this weekend. Yep, homecoming at Oklahoma State, greatest homecoming in the country. It's going to be a fun weekend. we got a top 10 opponent coming in. It's it's going to be interesting for sure. Oh, absolutely. Homecoming weekend is always a big deal. Um, it, it's a, I think it's still always going to have a little bit of a, a of an odd feel after what happened a few years ago. But yep. I was just Agreed. homecoming, I think it has almost made it even more important of an event for Oklahoma State. Plus, you throw in commemorating Barry Sanders, the throwback uniforms, all the new Nike apparel that's come out in honor of both of Barry. Um, like it, it, they have done a really good job of building up the excitement level for this week, even more than, than normal. And that's saying something for OSU's homecoming. Yeah, I completely agree with you. But can we just talk about those uniforms for a second? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> just, they're, they're incredible. And I wish, I just want those. I like the uniforms they have now. But if we could just make those the regular uniforms every week, I'd be completely fine with it. They're just fantastic. I want just make those the homecoming uniforms every year. Like if you want to mix up the too. helmet a little bit, um, you want to get a new patch every year. You got a Barry Sanders patch on it this year to commemorate him. If you want to replace the patch each year for whoever the we're honoring with homecoming parade, like that's fine. But make those the standard homecoming uniform, and I think everyone would be happy. And again, you can mix up the helmets. You can do some of like the Absolutely. the plain white with the black numbers or the bucking bronco. I'm okay with all that stuff. You can throw in different helmets, but keep these OSU's annual homecoming uniform at least for a, a few years till we want to try something new. But they're just they're too good to use once and never use again. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with you on that. So we talked a little bit about this off air, but do you subscribe to the theory? I think it was a pistols firing article yesterday, getting player reactions from the uniforms when they release them. Do you think that they, uh, that like, God, I think it was Johnny Wilson that said it, that they're going to come there. Something different is going to happen with them. Like they're going to come out in something. And then for the game, it's going to be a little bit different or something like that. Like, do you subscribe to that theory? Or do you think they're because they actually released them? Like, this is what they're going to come out as. I think that's what they're going to come out. You can't, everyone loves the look so much. Like the, the response has been so positive and so good to these uniforms that coming out and doing something different is going to be a little disappointing. Like I want to see what you promised me. And at this point, there's not, there's such a slim chance you could change something and make it better that, doing anything like that just like then why put a video production piece and release it a week early just to try and trick us all like i i don't mind coming out for uh, warm-ups in a different helmet that you play in the game like they did when they released the paisley helmets uh, uh last year or the year before but you showed me something i want to see on the field on saturday don't mess with that there's too Absolutely. much positive uh momentum about this weekend because of that uniform just just stick with it do it right don't don't go and try and get overly complicated yes i'm with you on that like i think because there was such a positive response there's no reason to even try and do anything different uh just stick with what we have and i think it's going to look amazing on saturday i'm very excited uh let's get into the game at hand a little bit number six texas coming in uh night game in boone Pickens stadium it's homecoming weekend Coming off the bye week, I'm not trying to say I think Oklahoma State will win, but this is the perfect storm for something weird to happen 
and Oklahoma State find a way to win that in a game they have no business winning. So there's two two ways to look at that. Um, it I feel like every year OSU last year excluded. Um, OSU has found a way to win a game they shouldn't at home. We can go all the way Absolutely. back to 2005. OSU's one Big 12 conference win in Gundy's first season was overranked Texas Tech. You look at 2013, big time game against like undefeated Baylor comes to town. OSU ra- railroads them. Uh, was it 2015? 2015 against TCU. Against TCU. So there's there's a history of OSU having a big game against a ranked opponent in Stillwater against a team they shouldn't beat and winning big to to point at this game and go, this could be it. Because coming into the season, I thought it would be West Virginia on the second to last week of the year. Because I mean, you look at 2015 when OSU beat West Virginia, who who ended the season with just two losses. They went 10-2 and two that year. That was that year's team. And I, at this point right now, if that's going to be a game on this schedule moving forward, I agree this is a better chance for that to happen. I mean, there's only this game in West Virginia are the only home games left. Right. So one of those two, it has to be. And I would put this game over the West Virginia game for that to happen. Now, that said, I'm not picking OSU this weekend. Yeah, I'm still kind of going back and forth in my head, and I will have a definitive answer by the end of this episode because I can see both sides, and I can think, you know, we've beaten uh, – Texas in Austin six out of the last eight times we've gone there and we've just kind of I mean at the outside of 2014 like we've dominated the series in the last decade it's felt like so you know they're going to come in and they're going to want to punch us in the mouth especially since we're the they're the homecoming team but I can also see this being the game coming off the bye week coming off of two terrible performances in a row that maybe the bye week came at the right time and this is exactly what Oklahoma State needed to turn their season around and keep things moving forward in a positive direction and hopefully move toward a possible bowl game. So I see both sides of what could possibly happen. And I don't think there's much in between here. I think either they come out and absolutely punch us in the mouth and we lose by three or four touchdowns, or this game stays pretty close. And Oklahoma State finds a way to pull it out. Yeah. So the point I've been making all week and really the last two weeks is Texas this season has played up and down at a level of competition. I Oklahoma, TCU, they went out and played lights out. But then you get Kansas State, Baylor, Tulsa, uh, Maryland. And they lost to Maryland. The other three wins were close. They weren't great. They weren't impressive. They won, but they weren't great. Texas is going to lose another game this season. I don't know which game it is. They've got a pretty tough stretch the rest of the way. Um, They've got, after OSU, they've got West Virginia, Texas Tech, Iowa State. That's a four-game stretch that's actually pretty tough. I don't know with them coming off the bye week if it if this is the best opportunity for them to lose. You could point to Sam Ellinger and his shoulder is beat up. You could point to the fact that Texas doesn't run the ball all that well. But my my point is Oklahoma State has won six of the last eight matchups. I know OSU is four and three this year, but this doesn't feel like the team that o, that Texas is going to play down to. This feels like one they're going to come in and go. We've lost three straight to these guys, six of the last eight. They've embarrassed us at home time and time again. I think this is going to be a game Texas gets up for. And if that's the case, as an OSU fan, I would be concerned because you saw what they did to OU. You saw mm-hmm. what they did to USC. You saw what they did to TCU. If that's the Texas that shows up on Saturday, OSU is in trouble. 
Absolutely. And I think a lot of this game rides on the health of Sam Ellinger. Now, Tom Herman is saying that he is going to play and is on track to play. But then you still got to wonder if he's 100 percent or even 75 percent, because when he's beat up and he's still a great athlete. But when he's beat up, uh, you know, it's a very stark contrast in his ability. And Shane Bouchelle is not the answer. Um, I don't think he's really that great. And that's there's a reason why Sam Ellinger beat him out and has played the whole year. And the only reason that he even saw the field this season is because he went out with that shoulder injury. So I think if Sam Ellinger, you know, isn't 100 percent and maybe isn't himself, you know, I think that opens up a window for Oklahoma State. Now, granted, their defense is really good and has shown to be really good in spots this season. So if Oklahoma State can jump out to an early lead, which I you know, don't maybe see happening, but if they can jump out to an early lead, this game could get interesting fast. Yeah, I think Ellinger is certainly something to keep an eye on. Another thing to keep an eye on, it's something I'm really hoping to see this week, is since Darian Daniels went out with an injury, Oklahoma State's run defense has been bad. I mean, it was so good at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. It was great against Boise State. And ever since that Boise State game, it's been bad. Ever since Darian Daniels has been done for the season and has been injured, the run defense has been abysmal. Texas is not a great running team. They average under four yards a carry. They average only like 159 yards a game on the ground. It's not a great running team. If OSU can figure out how to keep Texas at their normal pace running the ball, um, I, I think they have a real shot. But if Texas is able to run it up the gut, especially in the red zone like everyone's been doing the last three games, I just – if 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 Texas is able to be successful at the thing that they're less successful at normally, OSU is, again, in trouble. So I'm really curious to see how the defense adjusts to its inability to stop the run. We know what the secondary is. It's young. It's talented, but it's flawed. Um, they tend to correct mistakes as they make them fairly quickly, and that's just something you're going to have to watch from half to half. But it's really going to come down to can OSU not allow – quarterback runs, and the run game to get going for Texas. Because if they can do that, I think this game can be competitive and OSU can keep it low scoring, which might be beneficial to them this year. Yes, absolutely. And I think the, you know, you mentioned uh, the secondary and being young. This game's going to be a big test for them. They have two, Texas has two big wide receivers that are big plays waiting to happen. And little Jordan Humphrey, which is just my favorite name in college football, and Colin Johnson, who both can stretch the field and make plays. They're both versatile, too. They use uh, Humphrey out of like a Wildcat quarterback every once in a while in the red zone. If the secondary can be able to shut them down and force Texas to kind of play in a phone booth almost, if they if Oklahoma State can you know, keep them in that four yards of carry, three yards of carry, it, it makes the game a little bit better. But, you know, that also – their ability to throw downfield and get it, get the ball to Humphrey and Johnson is predicated on the health of Sam Ellinger's shoulder. He's not already the best thrower to begin with. He's still developing in that aspect. But if, you know, if he can throw the ball downfield a little bit and they're making plays and stretching the field, the game, this game can get out of hand. Um, I think there's one more note I want to make, and then I think we should get to our guest. Uh, Sounds good. The crowd is going to be in this game. They're going to be amped. It's a night game at Boone Pickens Stadium. They're going to have been tailgating all day. They're going to be excited. They're going to be ready to go. Sold out as well. It is sold out. It's going to be packed. I think it's going to be a great crowd at the beginning. Mm -hmm. OSU comes out, and the offense sputters and can't get anything going for the first few drives. If it's 10-0 Texas after the first quarter, 
that crowd is going to turn on Mike Gundy and OSU. Absolutely. That crowd is going to be out of it. And and half of them will leave at halftime and not come back, even with beer in the stadium. This feels like the game where if things offensively are going really poorly early on with Cornelius, where Gundy's may have to finally pull the trigger on a quarterback change. Um, because if he doesn't, if it's three and out for the first two or three drives and they don't make a change and they don't make an adjustment, you can't blame a crowd for looking at that and going, you don't care about this year, so why should we? Now, I don't think that Gundy doesn't care about this season. I don't think the players don't care about this season. But there is a message to be sent there. If this if this game starts out poorly, as bad as they played in the second halves of games the last four games, as how bad they've looked coming out of halftime, especially offensively, if it's a tough start offensively to the beginning of this game, I I don't feel good about OSU any coming anywhere near a victory or that stadium being half full after halftime. I completely agree with you, and I, I've seen a lot of that talk on on you know on social media of you know if the offense sputters, you know what happens, and I think if there's no change made, especially if Oklahoma State's down by multiple scores early in this game, and the defense isn't able to stop anybody, uh, and they're and we're down a couple scores, couple three and outs. We're not giving justice the ball. Corn dogs still throwing down the field and not making any plays. The crowd's going to turn quick, and I think they're going to turn quicker than even you think. I, I think it could be one drive, and if there's no change in what we've seen in the offense, if the offense looks like that second drive that we saw against Kansas State, where short to intermediate, and we're moving the ball a little bit, nothing comes of it. Okay, if they stick with that game plan, then I think maybe the then something will work, and I think Corn Dog will be fine. But if they're going to try and beat their head into a wall and try and run the Mason Rudolph, Mike, you're such a vertical passing game downfield with Cornelius, nothing's working. They have to make a change. And I, and I've mentioned this after the Kansas state game, I'm tired of the in-between. If you want to run that offense and you want someone that can throw the ball downfield with a little more accuracy, or at least give a little bit of a different look, go to the new quarterback. But if you want to try and have Corndog be the starting quarterback for the rest of the season, preserve Drew Brown and Spencer Sanders, then run an offense that works. Yeah, I, we, we're on the same page on that one. We absolutely are. Uh, we had a really good guest join us on uh, Sunday, Nathan Ruiz from the Oklahoman. Uh, unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties and weren't able to get that interview up before now, but uh, we are happy to include it in this particular podcast. So we're going to cut to that and let him talk for a bit. And then we, uh, we'll come back and wrap this up. Today, we're also joined by Nathan Ruiz. He's the Oklahoma State beat writer for the Oklahoma. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for coming on. So uh, uh, let me ask you real quick, Nathan, because I know you had, you've been following the story uh, tonight as well. Uh, and you've written a bit about the scholarship situation. What, is, what do you know about how this is going to work out um, because bringing in Watson, that's a fourth uh, scholarship for the 2019 class, and they don't necessarily have four openings on the team to fit all four of those guys. Uh, what do you know about what may or may not happen to help accommodate that? Right, right. Um, so right now, OSU has 10 guys who could be back next year. Uh, 10 plus 4 is 14. Uh, Mike Boynton, I think, is good enough at math to know the situation. Um, but when you look at all the turnover that they've had since he's been there in the 19, 20 months that he's been the coach, you look at uh, Zach Dawson and Devon Dillard getting dismissed. You look at all the guys 
from this last year's team, whether it's Brian Navarre and Kubisima, Tavar Shine, guys who you expected to be on a team in this season who aren't there now. So these things always fluctuate. You never know what a what my, the Michael Weather situation is still very much up in the air. I would think it sounds like once if the legal process works out the right way that he'll be back in some form, um, but that's still to be determined. Uh, you look at a guy like Cam McGriff. If he has a big season, he maybe uh, foregoes his final season and he goes pro, which opens up a spot. And you never know what's going to happen. You have four young forwards. You look at the Boone twins, both coming in or forwards. So it's possible that whether it's you or I, Maurice Kalu, Contrivius Jones, or Duncan Demuth, that one of those guys goes elsewhere. or And maybe some guy just becomes unhappy and decides, you know, they could get a better opportunity elsewhere and decides to transfer. So I think it's really too early to to – speculate what might happen here but i think it's really exciting for osu to to look at this class with you know three four-star guys the other boone twain it's just a really nice class and it speaks to what mike boynton is building and and what players uh in this generation really think of him yeah it's it's pretty exciting for osu fans it's very exciting you know the the prominent basketball school is coming back and i think that's awesome it's good for the school it's good for the conference as well So uh, obviously we uh, this popped up tonight, but we brought Nathan on to talk football since that is the uh, the sport that we're still in the middle of. Uh, obviously, it's bye week. It's things aren't looking great for OSU at this point. Obviously, five games to go. They can still make a bowl game, but uh, the optimist in me is is even starting to wonder if that's possible. Nathan, I would I would say my first question: you you're pretty close to the program. What is the vibe around the team right now? Um, there's like a, a, I guess a good energy. We last met with players uh, Wednesday, and they seem to have a good energy. I think their 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 practices are going well, and at least you know when they're meeting with the media, they're portraying confidence. Enoch Smith Jr. went so far to say, "Is like we believe we can go out there and win our next five games and and put in, put ourselves in a good position for for the postseason." So uh, I think there's still confidence, and and I mean they're still a four and three team. They still have a winning record, and obviously you can look at the slate ahead and speculate about w- what could end up happening. They very easily could still have four wins, you know, five weeks from now. But I, I think there's uh, there is a confidence in them, and that is on them. Is you know when you're a 20, 21 year old guy, it's really easy to to go out there and, and think we're going to go out there and we're going to kick kick whoever's butt, whoever's, whoever we're playing's butt. So um, I think if this kind of streak continues, that obviously can change. But I think right now they uh, have all the reason to believe in themselves, at least in their eyes. All right. So I guess the next question is the question that everyone wants to talk about because, you know, it, it's been a week-to-week thing, especially among the fan base and on Twitter and all that stuff. But the quarterback situation – is there any sort of rumblings of if there's going to be a change, if at all? Um, is there anything, you know, in the works possibly for maybe not Texas, but, you know, for at Baylor the following week? You know, I think it, it's hard to say because Mike Gundy's not going to blink when he, like I asked him straight up, you know, have you guys changed reps? And he very quickly answered no. And that was all he said. Um, but again, he's not going to say that if in a week and a half he's going to run Spencer Sanders or Drew Brown out there. So I think it's it's still Taylor Cornelius's job going into the Texas game. Um, I, you know, Tex- Taylor Cornelius was made available to the media on Wednesday, and I, I don't think – it could, again, just be a smokescreen, but it seems like a tough thing to do to a kid to say, hey, you're not going to start, but go talk to the media and pretend that you're going to do that. So, um, But I think right now Taylor Cornelius remains the guy. Uh, I, I understand the speculation uh, of it. 
I think that four-game redshirt allows some flexible room there, but I think for right now it's still Taylor Cornelius' job. All right. All right. He's he's done well. He hasn't been great. Obviously, that Kansas State game was was poor. But what do you think it would take for Gundy to to maybe make a change at quarterback? Well, absolutely an injury. Um, uh, I think, and then you go back to the Alex Kate situation. He was what over over nine. So I think it would take something where if OSU's offense is just abysmal, and you can make the argument that it was abysmal at Kansas State. And what was interesting about Gundy's post game comments to me is that he'd always been. Uh, corn's fine, corn's fine. That, and then, you know, he gets asked, do you consider changing reps? And he says, not really. And not really definitely doesn't mean yes. It's still a no, but there's some flexibility within a not really. So I think there is, um, you know, some pressure on him now that they now have this performance where if it's maybe just a blip, if the Kansas State game is a blip, or if it becomes kind of a continuing trend. And, and you got to, there's so many different factors into it. Like, I'm not fully convinced that a quarterback change provides a spark. I know that people keep drawing comparisons to 2014, but there are plenty of cases around the country on a yearly basis where quarterback change doesn't really do anything or it just makes things worse. So I think the possibility is there that Drew Brown or Spencer Sanders goes out there and does much better. But there's also the possibility that OSU's offensive line is just as bad as it has been, and they're smaller than Taylor Cornelius, and they just get eaten alive. So I think there's a a give and take to it, and you could I see both arguments of it. Um, and, and Mike Gunny's going to do what Mike Gunny's going to do, I guess. Um, I guess my next question was talking about, so we've seen, obviously, Justin Sills is one of the best running backs in the conference, and we saw, you know, the first few weeks, they really didn't want to get him hurt, uh, you know, giving him, you know, 12, 15 carries against Missouri State, South Alabama, not a lot of, you know, reason to give him too much of a workload there. And then he finally breaks out and has 189 yards against uh, Kansas, right around 30 carries. And then we haven't seen anywhere near that the last few weeks. Is there Has there been any sort of reason as to why he hasn't maybe gotten the workload, especially he only got 11 carries against Kansas State? Um, has there any been, any, been any reason or has it been talked about at all about uh, his workload at all? Yeah, I think if there's any reason for fans to be upset about how this offense is operating, the focus should be more on the usage of Justice Hill than anything. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, you know, Gundy came out before the year and identified, like, he's the number one player who we want the ball in his hands. If we're going to have run an offensive play, like we want to make sure that in some way Justice Hill is involved in it. And that has not happened. And for Kansas to be the game where they saw that as an opportunity where he gets 31 carries against Kansas really doesn't make a lot of sense. And obviously he, he reciprocated that well. He did. He was tremendous in that game. But then we don't see it. Um, you know, in, t- in the loss against Texas Tech, we haven't seen it. We didn't see it against Kansas State. And Gundy's used kind of an excuse of, oh, we've been behind. So I, I get that. But it's not, you're not giving them the ball in the first half either. So there's uh, definitely plenty of reasons to be kind of confounded by that. Um, you know, Gundy's argument in, against Kansas State was that they, they their pass, pass plays worked, but Taylor Cornelius just wasn't hitting their guys. But at the same time, we saw that first drive where it was short pass plays to, to Chuba and Justice, and that seemed to be really effective. Um, so I, I don't know exactly what the strategy is. I, the question has become shifted from, um, should Justice be getting more carries to why isn't Justice getting more carries? And, and the answer is, is still kind of uh, unknown to me, at least. Nathan, you mentioned the offensive line, and we've all seen it's been not great, I think is a fair description. It's been better in some games than others. Um, before the season, Mike Gundy seemed quite adamant that this is going to be the best offensive line we'd seen in quite some time. And seven games in, it looks if at least on par with 2014, if not worse. 
how big has their performance, how big, how surprising has their performance been to Gundy and the rest of the coaching staff? And, and I mean, what seems like it's the, is there a thing that you can point to that's the problem? Is it injuries, lack of depth, maybe players not living up to expectations? I, I mean, I, I think every factor is something different. I think, and that kind of applies to the offense as whole, as a whole, every game, there's been something else, whether it's pass protection or run protection or Taylor Cornelius's arm, or his deep, like every game, it's been something else, it seems like, for this offense that's causing it to struggle. Um, in terms of the offensive line, it sounds like, in most cases, that it's just four guys doing their job and one guy not. Um, where some one guy's in the right position, and and or four guys are in the right position, and one guy's just maybe a little off. It sounds like that's all it's, it's taking, really. And that makes sense in, in, in this sport for one little thing to be off and kind of cause an overshift into issues. So I think... You know, whatever it is, it's it's obviously not uh, as correctable as they would like it to be. Uh, Mike Gundy has said this about a lot of guys, but it seems like this team just kind of needs another spring um, to, to kind of get its foot feet under itself and get that experience. And the offensive line is one of the most experienced groups on this team, you'd think, but the depth just isn't there. You look at the Arlington Hambright injury, that's causing some shuffling. So I think, uh, again, I think it's really just little things, and that's what's going to bite them, I think, is what it is. You mentioned a spark, and you know, watching that Kansas State game, it didn't really seem like the team was—I don't, I don't want to say not motivated, but they just—they didn't look like OSU teams have passed. This team's been really undisciplined. It's the most penalized team Gundy's ever had, and it really feels like it's lacking some on-field leadership. I don't see the presence that that Mason Rudolph had, and I don't just mean Mason Rudolph as the talented enough to make the NFL, but that personality i don't see that from anyone for like mason rudolph had or that james washington had i don't see that excitement or that we're we're gonna do this look in the eyes of anyone on the team so i'm kind of curious who would you say are really the leaders on this offense the guys that you know everyone turns to and and knows can pick this team up and put them on their back yeah, that's an interesting question. I think if I remember back to media day, Gundy kind of identified that, that Justice Hale and Taylor Cornelius are leaders, but they're kind of do-as-I-do guys and not the big rah-rah, rile-em-up. Neither of them are very energetic or talkative, uh, especially when they meet with the media. So I think uh, those, those guys aren't—you're you're not going to look to the sideline and see them you know, saying friends in low places like Mason Rudolph would do. Um, I think Dylan Stoner is a guy to circle in that category. I think Jalen McCleskey was a huge guy in terms of leadership. Uh, I think I, I haven't asked this question. I don't know it definitively, but I think he's a guy who's missed uh, even just not, I mean, not even just in an on the field standpoint. I think he brought a certain energy and had a certain spark to him. Um, but I think he would have, he helped a lot, but I think a lot of these guys are really offensively. They're pretty low key, calm personalities and that's fine. Gundy has said he likes calm quarterbacks. He likes guys who, who kind of stay the same. But I, I think this team does need a jolt of energy. I mean, and Gundy has said that the effort is still there. He's, he likes the effort he's seeing. Um, but I would agree that I think this team does need kind of a, a spark and energy of fight that we just haven't really seen yet. Yeah, I mean, it's felt that way all year. Like, there's just – it just feels like there's something missing, and it's just that little motivating factor. And you wonder – you know, I, I kind of wondered at least in that – even in the first couple games, and they were still getting heavily penalized and, again – against terrible teams, you know, what was going on. But I think that's got to be, you know, a huge part of it. And hopefully moving forward, they can find there, – there's got to be one guy in that locker room that can get them all pumped up. So hopefully that comes to fruition here in the next couple of weeks. You know, obviously, Nathan, the schedule moving forward, you've got 
Texas for homecoming, which is, I mean, Texas is, I'm still not going to call them back, but they are legitimate Big 12 title contenders this year. Um, road game at Baylor, road game at OU, West Virginia, and at TCU. With what we know about the teams, the rest of the teams on the schedule now, where do you see OSU's best chances to get two more wins and get back to a bowl game? Uh, I would not have expected this at the start of the year, but I would put TCU at the top of that list. Obviously, that could be, a, you know, they could have already lost the the next four by then, and that game could be irrelevant in terms of the bowl picture for both teams, arguably. Um, but based off what we've seen out of TCU, their offense is just absolutely anemic. Um, their defense is still pretty solid. Obviously, OU tore them up, but OU is one of the best offenses in the country. Um, so I think that that's an opportunity. And we don't, we have no idea what OSU is going to look like by the time a game rolls around. Spencer Sanders, Andrew Brown could both be playing by then. Um, and then uh, you look at, I think this week's game against Texas, like I get their top six team in the country, but they didn't look all that great in beating Baylor at home. So I think, you know, there is the opportunity there night game in Boone Pickens Stadium. I think the opportunity is there. I would put the winning at Baylor ahead of that game. Um, but I think that it as well represents an opportunity. Baylor, I think, is is obviously an upstart. And I, I kind of viewed that before the season as somewhat of a trap game because it was the week against OU. And now we look at it, OSU is not really going to be trapped against anyone just given the situation they're in now. Uh, so I think, but that's a game to look at. I, I think OU is going to steamroll this team. I think Kyler Murray's going to run for 250 yards. And so OSU. Um, and West Virginia was a game I circled earlier in the year is, is a game that I thought OSU would be capable of winning. But just based on what we've seen out of that defense, uh, it looks like Will Greer is going to tear, tear it up. Uh, again, that's that's still a few weeks from now. So I, this team could look a lot different. But I think right now, if I had to rank them, I go TCU, Baylor, Texas, West Virginia, OU. Yeah, I think I agree with you on on all five of those. I just on your Texas point, I do think it's a fair point. I also think Texas tends to, at least this season, play up to their level of the competition. And as many times as OSU has beaten them the last few years, I can see Texas getting pretty pumped up to go to Stillwater uh, and and get a win over a team that's beaten them in Austin. I don't know six times in the last like seven years. Yeah, I think they've won six like of the last eight. Six of the last eight in Austin. Yeah. So I mean. I, that that to me, if I was Texas, I'd be I'd be amped to go into Stillwater and and put a hurt on OSU after you know they've done that to me a few times in my home turf. Yeah, it should be a fun matchup. Obviously, OSU's homecoming game, night game, ABC game. So I think there's going to be a lot of energy around it. And who knows? That might be just what OSU needs. Is just kind of. Yeah, you, Mike Gundy has said that you don't want to depend too much on that outside noise, but maybe that's just what OSU needs is to get a little bit of a jolt from the homecoming crowd, from everything about this week, about this game, the night game, uh, everything coming together. It might just be what OSU needs to kind of break this weird home conference losing streak, losing skid they've been on. So I think uh, maybe that's just what they need. Who knows? Weirder things have happened, especially in this conference. So – I got one last question for you, Nathan. Um, and then before we let you go, you mentioned defense. What is the kind of the vibe in the locker room uh, so far with with Jim Knowles and his his first year? You know, he's very he's a very different personality than Glenn Spencer. Glenn Spencer was a real rah rah, you know, air bump personality, lots of fire. And and Knowles, I don't, I, I'm not saying he doesn't have personalities, but he seems more Gundy, a little more low key. Um, what has how's the locker room kind of responded to him uh, so far this year? 
I think Jim Knowles is actually a great personality. And unfortunately, with, you know, the certain structures of, of how this team does its media availabilities, we don't get to see that as much. He's only made available after games. Um, but he's a guy who I think brings a lot of character. He's a Philly guy. Um, but I think his players have really liked him. They seem really receptive to him in, in the spring and in fall camp and into this season. I think the defense is just taking some time to kick in. Um, it's a it's a difficult defense. It's a large change, and maybe it's possible that they just don't have um, the guys to kind of fit their scheme. But I think that the the players do have a belief in him and do have an enjoyment in, in playing for him. Um, I think there's just some issues and some complications in kind of getting this scheme set. And you know, this isn't a one year experiment. I don't think it's something you kind of compare to what what's happened what's happened in Norman with Mike Stoops. I think it's something where it's there's going to be an adaptation period. Um, and, and in time, I think Gundy remains confident that, that this defense will, in year two, year three, be something that's a lot more effective than what we've seen this year. Yeah, that's kind of my, that was kind of my thought. Uh, I, I really like the defense. I like Jim Knowles. I'm just, you know, it obviously has is a lot more complicated than what Glenn Spencer had them throwing at him. And I think that has led to a lot of the penalties is they just don't have the fundamentals of the defense down quite yet. So I'm looking for a huge jump in year two. And if you know, that doesn't happen, then I just wonder, you know, if we just don't have the guys for that scheme quite yet. But moving forward, I think it'll be okay. Welcome back in uh, to this the last little bit of this episode. That was a great interview with Nathan Ruiz. He brought a lot of insight uh, kind of into the Cowboy locker room a little bit, you know, what he's seen in his interactions with Gundy and, you know, the players. And I think it kind of gives me a little – some sense of optimism – but at the same time, I know that this is, you know, there's still five games left and there's still a lot that can happen. But right now, I think the bye week yeah. came at the right time. I still think my biggest takeaway is him talking about leaders uh, in the locker room and how much Jalen McCleskey has, the loss of him has hurt this team, not as much on the field, but in the locker room and on the offense. Right now, it feels like we have a lot of James Washingtons and you need James Washington. James Washington was quiet. He was, I mean, he'd get excited when he, got Absolutely. he wasn't a real vocal leader. He was a quiet leader. He was a do as I do, you know, not speak out a lot. And you need those guys on the team, but you also need Mason Rudolphs. You need those vocal guys who talk and, sh- and show so much energy and personality. And you can tell, we'll go up to a guy and say, we're going to make this happen. Come with me. Let's go. And I haven't seen a Mason Rudolph on this team, and I think it's really hurting them. I think Jalen McCleskey was supposed to be one of those guys. He's gone now, and I think that loss is hurting the offense more than we than we expected it to. I agree. And I, the one thing that did give me a little bit of hope for optimism, at least in that aspect of having leadership, is he did mention a guy like Dolan Stoner who can be that type of guy and is the more vocal leader. And I'm a huge Dolan Stoner fan, just like you are. And I think that, you know, moving forward, he could be that guy. And if he mentioned him in that light, when we really haven't heard anything else about any other leaders on the team, that bodes well for the future and the rest of the season. Definitely moving forward. Uh, I I feel, I keep going back to, this feels like a one-off year where no matter what happens, it's not a, it's not a a prediction or or a sign of things to come. I think it's a one-off and I think this team rebounds fairly quickly in 2019. It's just we just need to see something happen this year to kind of to kind of give us hope because there's nothing worse than going into an off season just feeling awful and really OSU outside of maybe Absolutely. like 2013 how that season ended or 20 you know mm-hmm. 15 how that season ended you want to just you just like to go into the off season feeling 
good. You know, 2014 was so bad that you beat yeah. OU, you beat Washington, you end the year that way, and the and the whole summer was was happy and, and positive, and you were looking forward to the next season. It'd just be nice to have this season end on a on a high note rather than continue a downward spiral, and then we just have to try and build optimism and excitement for next season with no expectation for it. I completely agree with you. This program has built so much momentum over the past few seasons. We've seen one of the best stretches in program history, if not the best. And if this season ends the way that, you know, we've talked about, you know, maybe not winning a game the rest of the season, I feel like that kills a lot of that momentum and a lot of that, you know, that prominence that the program is beginning to build. So if they can win a couple games and salvage out a bowl game out of what was really kind of a lost season in this part, you know, I think that builds a lot for next season. So there's a lot to like about that interview, at least, and, you know, give us a little bit of, you know, a look into the future of what this program can be. And I feel all right moving forward. I just want to see a couple more wins the rest of the season. Otherwise, this podcast yeah, is going to get we'll real sad. All right, well, I think that wraps up this episode. Obviously, the interview added a little bit more than what we were going for, but we were glad we were able to get it in here. We apologize for not having anything out on Monday. The audio files were a little funky trying to edit it, but glad we were able to still get it in and have a little more content up here for you guys. So, Philip, where can they follow you on Twitter? O-K-T-X-A-R-Poke. I may change that at some point. That's a little hard to remember. Um, you can follow the 1012 <laughs> podcast, which is my weekly big, uh, big 12 show at 1012 podcast at the number 10, the number 12, the word podcast. You can follow it on uh, iTunes and SoundCloud. A uh, new episode this week went up on Tuesday night. It is uh, it's a really good one this week. It's really good. All right, I'm looking forward to listening to that. You can follow me at JT Penfield and be sure to follow the main site at Cowboys RFF and also be sure to give Nathan Ruiz a follow on Twitter. His at is uh, at Nathan S. Ruiz. Uh, he puts up really good stuff about Oklahoma State on the Oklahoman. Uh, one of the better beat writers that I've seen, you know, cover this program over the last couple of years. He's really, really good at what he does and be sure to, you know, give him a shout and, uh, you know, all that good stuff. So go Pokes. Beat, uh, beat Texas, and you know, hopefully this can be a great homecoming weekend. Uh, win or loss, it's America's greatest homecoming. People are proud to come back to the school, and there's a lot to be proud of uh, in general with Oklahoma State University. So uh, we will talk to everyone on Sunday with a wrap-up.